Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. Arizona is home to a global hub of world-class companies and institutions with decades of innovation and leadership in optics, photonics, and astronomy. From medical imaging to remote sensing, semiconductors and astronomy, and mobile phones to quantum information science, the applications of optics and photonics technologies are exploding. And on that note, we want to welcome you to Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm Karen Owicki, president and owner of Phoenix Business Radio X, and I'd like to welcome you to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcast monthly, AZ TechCast invites tech and business experts to have real conversation about what's happening across the state of Arizona. AZ TechCast discuss critical issues, topics, trends, and propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. And with that, we are looking forward to today's conversation. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Jennifer Burton, Director of Bio5 Institute at the University of Arizona. Welcome, Jennifer. Hello, great to be here. And Gregory Coriel, CEO and President of Applied Energetics. Welcome, sir. Thank you. It's great to be here as well. And Katie Schwartz, Design Engineering Manager at Edmund Optics. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. These accomplished experts will be in conversation with myself and Bianca Baliga, Director of Marketing and Communications at the Arizona Technology Council. And we'll be discussing why Arizona uh, attracts optics companies, how these companies are supported, and what Arizona and the U.S. can do to maintain this industry leadership. We have a lot of interesting content to cover, so let's dive in. We always like to start by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves, the role that you play in your organization, and how that plays into the Arizona technology ecosystem. Jennifer, would you mind getting started for us? Sure. Hi, I'm Jennifer Barton. I'm the director of the Bio5 Institute and a professor of biomedical engineering at the Bio5 at the University of Arizona. We work together to bring people, applications, problems, solutions, technology, we bring them together at the university here and try to create better solutions for better health for people in Arizona. My name is Greg Quarles. I'm the CEO and president at Applied Energetics, and our company is focused on developing technology for the national security sector, as well as biophotonics and additive, subtractive, and advanced manufacturing techniques using lasers with short pulses and other types of optical technologies integrated into these systems. And I'm Katie Schwartz. I'm the engineering manager for the design services team in Tucson, Arizona, but I also work with people across the globe. Edmund Optics itself is a global components manufacturing company. So we make over 2 million components, optical components a year. So that's lenses, filters, mirrors, you name it. We do a lot of optical subsystems as well. I'm located in Tucson, and that office is primarily focused on advanced design and assembly. So we do a little more optical subsystems and and integration of systems. Yeah, so we're involved here locally with the Tech Council. 
and make fantastic stuff, by the way. Um, <laughs> always more. great to hear. I, I always pass along the feedback when we get it. <laughs> I love that. And before we get started in the conversation, I always like to have either Steve or Bianca tell us a little bit about Arizona Technology Council and, and how, of course, you guys play such an important role in our tech ecosystem. So, Bianca, if you'd do that for us today, we'd be greatly appreciative. Sure. Thank you so much, Karen. It's funny, actually. We have all of these great folks joining us virtually from Tucson, and Steve himself is actually in Tucson today (laughs) for a meeting, which is why he wasn't able to join us, but we do miss him. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the council, uh, we are the premier trade association for science and technology companies across the state of Arizona. We have about 750 member companies that really range in size from those early stage startups to those household names that you think of when you think of technology. Our theory of change is kind of focused on three main tenets, the first of which is hosting events. We have about 100 virtual or in-person events every year. We also do a lot of public policy advocacy, so you'll frequently see us advocating for public policy at the state, local, and federal levels. And then the final piece is we offer a host of resources for our members to be able to focus on what they do best. So we offer things like an association healthcare plan, a 401k multiple employer plan, discounted tuition at a number of in-state educational institutions, and the list really does go on. And I'm really excited about this optics conversation today because we have a committee called the Optics Valley Committee, which is going to come up throughout this conversation And they have a host of different events that they run every year, too, that just educates the public on what optics and photonics is, including the International Day of Light that we have coming up on Sunday, May 21st. So hopefully you all can join us at the Flandreau uh, Planetarium down in Tucson to just learn all about optics and photonics. There are activities targeted towards people of all ages, so bring your families if you are available. Ah, well done. And and something to look forward to. I love it. Yes. <laughs> so let's start at the very beginning. What is optics and what is photonics and how has the industry changed in the past decade? And again, we're just going to let it open up well uh, round robin. And if you have something to offer or want to pipe back in, please do that. So let's start by educating our audience and listeners. What are optics and photonics? Well, since you said educate, I'll go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, so, so optics and photonics, it's a study of light and how we use light for practical purposes to uh, power the things we use every day. So I think it's amazing. Optics has been around for thousands of years. And uh, besides eyeglasses, you know, it's now used for all types of things. I think what's really changed lately is that optics used to be big and expensive and something that, you know, we'd have lasers that took up an entire table and required a postdoc to run. Nowadays, they've been manufactured in such a way that they're they're small and inexpensive and they're becoming ubiquitous. So this is just really exciting to see the changes that have happened in the last couple of decades. Stick with saying light, lasers, and lenses, because I feel like if I explain optics, somebody grabs onto one of those. I mean, it's a lot more than just that, but um, yeah, like Jennifer said, a lot of people, when they hear optics, they think of eyeglasses. And so it's a running joke in the optics industry that we have to correct people that we're not ophthalmologists. We have some basic understanding of the eye, but usually uh, because we're making something that interacts with people looking at something, but yeah, any technology that uses light to solve problems, you consider that optics and photonics. With Edmund Optics, we work in a lot of 
different sectors. And so I have the fun job of being able to see where all of this goes because sometimes it's to something like Jennifer is working on in biomedical optics or tissue imaging. Um, sometimes it's military and defense. Sometimes it's robotics and autonomous vehicles. Um, and that's, that's one of the areas that I feel like I've seen over the past decade is the amount of technology that has to see see something without eyes, that's just increased so much. So, I mean, we've always had in optics, you know, you have a sensor and a camera looking at things, but the amount of technology that is that we're relying on now to see things for us, uh, like autonomous vehicles and trucking in grocery stores, restocking, monitoring the fill levels of bottles coming through a factory floor. There's just all sorts of areas where we rely on not humans <laughs> to look at things. Um, so that's one one area that's definitely exploded over the past 10 years. Yeah, and I think one of the questions I get quite often is, what is the difference between optics and photonics, and, and how do you delineate uh, what those two things are? And I, I think the descriptions given previously are, are excellent. I think the, the, the thing that I try to stress is when I think of photonics versus the optics side of the house, it, it's usually you know what Katie referred to. It's like the autonomous vehicle. It's like mm-hmm. when you're driving your car and you have that sensor in the front, that sensor is interacting with your vehicle, trying to keep you at a safe distance from the vehicle in front of you. That is the computer, that's the electronics, that's the optics, all integrated into one chip or one sensor, uh, trying to help make your life easier. And that's where I think the word photonics has started to come into play over the last two decades. So Katie and Greg already got a little bit of a head start on this next question, which is fabulous. But I was guilty of being one of these people prior to working at the council that thought of optics and thought of my, you know, eye appointment that I had once a year. And I was like, oh, there's more to this than literally what meets the eye. Um, so what are some examples of those everyday products that really touch everyday humans' lives? I mean, the easy, obvious one that I always go to is cell phone cameras. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about kind of the last question, the last 10 years, like think about what you expect from your cell phone camera from say something like 2000, well, do we even have cell phone cameras in 2005? Like (laughs) 2010 up till now, like the expectation of what you can get out of something that is so tiny, there's a number of optical elements in there. You have actively aligned elements to a sensor. This is all in a package size. It's extremely small and demanding um, from consumers. It also needs to be cheap to go into something that a customer is going to buy. So to me, a cell phone camera is a perfect example of something that you use every day without thinking about it. And you have had increased expectations about what the base level of quality that should be over time. And to Greg's point, that's very much like an optics example. But once you start talking about the chips and and integrating your optics with your electronics, that, that kind of veers into the, the uh, photonic side. Right. And not just the cell phone camera, but uh, the face recognition on your iPhone. Yes. Yeah. Thousands mm-hmm. of lasers that are mapping out your face. And that's that's a case where optics, we don't even think about it. We don't even think about the fact that uh, optics is being used in that situation. An example I like to give ties right in, which is, uh, you know, fiber optic to the home for your Wi-Fi. You, you can't use your cell phone and upload your TikTok video or whatever it may be without having fiber optics that are then connected back into a system that has servers in it. And those servers all have optical interconnects that are taking your data and storing it or taking it to the cloud. So you've got all of these types of steps involved in one simple thing, such as taking a video and sending it to a friend. And they all involve optics somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. See, now you have Gen Z's attention. You brought TikTok into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> <Easy> thinking. <laughs> 
<laughs> so when we started off the conversation, Bianca introduced herself and the Arizona Technology Council. She kind of just planted the seed around this optics valley. <laughs> and I'm very curious because I know nothing about it beyond what you just mentioned. So what is optics valley and how does the community fuel the growth of Arizona's optic and photonics industry? Let's, let's cover that. So Optics Valley is the local industry cluster, local being Arizona uh, industry cluster that really exists to support the optics and photonics companies in the state. And this is pretty common in optics. If you find the different optics hubs that live around the country and around the globe, most are associated with some sort of industry cluster. And it's a way to just kind of connect and collaborate with people in the industry that are geographically near to you. One of the really interesting things about the optics industry is that it is dominated by small to mid-sized companies. It's very uh, unusual to have your large conglomerates. I mean, Edmund would be considered one of, I would say, the larger companies. And then somebody like a Ball Aerospace or some of uh, those companies are within optics but have other business sectors. Most companies are going to be a handful of people. I think, Greg, you've got, what, 10 to 15 at Applied Energetics. And um, so... That's a big part of the optics community is spinoffs from the universities and, and small companies. So the, the industry cluster really provides like kind of a larger umbrella by which you can get together and see what else is going on in your backyard or work on projects together or kind of form a bit of more of a, a block <laughs> to, to operate and to get resources. Um, so Optics Valley kind of restarted, I'd say, a handful of years ago. There was a longstanding industry cluster here, the AOIA, and then... It kind of got rebooted a handful of years ago under the Arizona Technology Council, now is Optics Valley. That's the broad strokes. And I think it's important that uh, people realize, I mean, they worked with the Optics Valley team two years ago, and we were really trying to get an understanding of the breadth of the optics industry and what it means for the GDP of Arizona. And I, mm-hmm. I think right now it's, it's averaging well over $4 billion a year in contributions uh, to the GDP of the state, which is a fairly robust ecosystem. And like Katie said, I mean, it, it comes from spinouts from the university, comes from spinouts from you know, the, the large companies. Our, our company was founded 21 years ago in Tucson, and we're a publicly traded small company that had its founder spin out of Raytheon from, from their directive energy group. So it, it takes this ecosystem to have people supplying the optics, to have the intellect and, and, the, and the brain power at the university to help contribute in, in developing and and incubating the ideas that are going to be fruitful in the future in terms of turning something into a technology. Yeah, yeah, agreed. The, the University of Arizona has had 26 optics-related spin-outs in the last 10 years, and so Optics Valley is really there to help those small companies connect and to help the university connect with companies here in town, uh, the larger companies as well. I also appreciate that Optics Valley's connects what's going on in Arizona with what's happening around the globe. Uh, We have something called Arizona Photonics Days every year that brings people from across the globe here, other industry clusters from Germany and elsewhere so that we can trade, swap tips and tricks and and get to know each other and and help elevate the entire optics industry. I think they just recently passed a milestone of 100 companies in this industry cluster Mm -hmm. too, which is a fabulous milestone to, to recognize and to celebrate. And recognizing also that there's more growth happening in the future. I mean, that demand is not going anywhere for these types of products and services. But I'm curious to hear everyone's perspective about how Arizona and specifically Southern Arizona has become the breeding ground for this 
global hub of world-class companies and institutions that have this innovation in optics, photonics, and astronomy. And I have to share too that this is a bit of a follow-up conversation to uh, an episode that we had in October of last year that was focused on the James Webb Telescope and Arizona's incredible contributions to that. So how how what is it about Arizona that attracted all of this talent and that keeps the fun going? I think the university is at least a part of that. And that goes back to uh, clear skies and being a natural home for astronomy and the founding of, at the time, the Optical Sciences Center, which is now the Wyant College of Optical Sciences. So I hope that the university has been a, a good base part of this ecosystem in creating the talent and the spin out companies that have helped fuel the innovation throughout the years. Uh, I think it's typical that happens a lot of times at the university, you have really smart PhDs graduating. They don't want to leave. So they just stay here and start a company instead. And you can't really have an ecosystem of, of only, um, you know, two PhDs in a garage uh, without some of the larger companies here. So it's it's been exciting to be part of that ecosystem and yet have people like Edmund Optic and, and others who have um, set up base and really grown here in Tucson. Ecosystem is my favorite word for like the optics industry down here because you have the university that has started companies and you have companies that come here like Edmund and others. They, they need to have a site here just because of the talent pool and people that want to stay in Arizona. So you have both the industry and uh, the university and that kind of feeds back and forth to each other. So um, it's definitely got its own gravity at this point. I mean, when you're in the industry, people know if you have a degree from Arizona, like that's that's expected <laughs> in optics. It, it is definitely one of the premier schools for, for optics. And we end up with a lot of, you know, conferences and things being held here that, you know, when we're going to conferences, a lot of times we're going to some larger, you know, San Diego, San Francisco, even over to, you know, Munich or, or Shanghai. And then we have Tucson in the mix just because there is that kind of a center of gravity for the optics community. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think part of that center of gravity is is the industry that springs up around it. I mean, Raytheon, you know, emerged out of Hughes Research Labs in, in the desert of, of Tucson 40, 50 years ago and, and fed off of the university. I think, I think we're seeing the same kind of renaissance with the, the growth of Intel and TSMC and other companies that are going to be planting their, their roots and already have some roots uh, north of Tucson. Uh, and especially with the Chips and Science Act coming into play and, and trying to drive greater growth there to develop semiconductor chips and, and other things that really are key and use optics and photonics all the way through the, the photolithography and the manufacturing of these uh, small chips. I think Arizona State has been smart about incentivizing tech here. When I moved to Tucson in 2008, there was not a lot of like young business professionals running around outside of Raytheon. If you met somebody in their mid-20s that was in tech, you're like, you obviously work at Raytheon. And now that's not the the case. Um, so I think, you know, you've seen the state have a lot of, I would say, friendly policies around autonomous vehicles. And you see a lot of the development happening here instead of in California and optics feeds right into that technology. So I do think Arizona as a state generally has been smart about incentivizing companies here. So that we have the wider tech, again, ecosystem outside of just optics and photonics, but optics and photonics feeds into all of those, all of those sectors. So it, it grows uh, together. 
Mm-hmm. Perfect segue for us to, to kind of focus on a handful of these different sectors. How is the industry then solving public health issues and making a difference in Arizona's health spe- specifically? Yeah. And well, I actually would love to hear from Jennifer first. Yes. I know <laughs> That's obviously her question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was chomping at the bit. I, she was ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're, we're super excited. Of course, that's my own personal research area that I applied light for early detection of cancer. So that gets to the technology improvements that I've talked about. Having these small lasers, having fiber optics, having new materials, better sensors, making everything less expensive, portable, robust. It's really making a difference in a lot of industries, but especially in healthcare. So you can think about, for instance, how you might have had a, a surgery a couple of decades ago and they would have you know, made a big incision in the belly and gone in there and, and uh, with instruments and, and cut around. That's not the case for hardly anything anymore. They can make little tiny incisions. And because of optics and photonics, we can put small endoscopes inside these tiny incisions look around, find out what's going wrong and do surgery. We can do surgery on a beating heart with robots because of these optics and photonics advances. So that's really important. And it's enabled my own research in ovarian cancer. I'm building an endoscope that's less than a millimeter in diameter that has advanced imaging modalities at the end of it to look for early uh, stages of ovarian cancer. And that, that just simply wouldn't have been possible. That's actually a case where in my career, I was waiting for companies like Edmund and, and others to come up with the, the parts that I needed to put together to make an endoscope. So it's really exciting. Therapy with lasers, being able, speaking of eyeglasses, if I was a candidate for LASIK, I'd love to get that. That uses optics both to map the corneal surface, figure out a personalized plan for how we're going to reshape the cornea with lasers so that you can see uh, without glasses, again, refractive surgery. So it's it's been really exciting, just all the things that optics and photonics have enabled. I did get LASIK last year, and I'm pretty sure I amused the doctor slash surgeon greatly because I was like, is this a femtosecond laser? Is this a pulse laser? Is this, what power, what wavelength is this operating at? So I, uh, as it was kind of like cutting the flap, I was like thinking about, exactly what you said. I'm like, this is part of our industry enabled this. And now I'm not wearing contacts anymore. So I was on like majorly nerding out during the. They're like, who is, who is this lady? (laughs) I think he was, I think he was very confused. I love it. What a great story. Now for this next question, I want to turn my attention to Greg a little bit, just given your background. So the question is, um, how is the industry playing a role in the directed energy and national security sectors? And I was just reading over some of your submission. I think you have something like five patents, 12 pending. You have strategic partnerships with Department of Defense and U.S. Congress to make sure that they're aware of these great applications in security and in defense. So Tell me more. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a combination of you, you have to wear your policy hat to be able to you know, discuss changes that need to be made. And you have to have an understanding of what is the technology and, and what problems can it solve. And I think you know, one, one of the examples that I've used most recently in a couple of talks is, is looking at the war in Ukraine right now and the role that drones are playing uh, in the past, you would send out scout teams or uh, 
humans to try to go and look and see where people are and then bring them back and have the intel. Now you can, you know, you buy a drone at Costco and you fly it up 100 feet and you turn on the sensor and let's see where things are. And, and then you relay that information back to the people that need to know it. So that all involves GPS and the ability to turn on sensor and the ability to look around either thermal imaging or looking at optical imaging with uh, in the visible part of the spectrum. So, you know, from a directed energy standpoint, you realize that those are new and emerging threats that are low cost. So that means that other countries that may not have significant defense budgets may be starting to put those out and, and utilize them. And, and we're seeing it all around the world. And so how, how do you defeat that? Well, the best way to defeat it, if at all possible, is at the speed of light. You don't want to use a $200,000 munition to try to shoot down a thousand dollar drone that's up to the sky can you take it out with a laser beam a laser beam burn it out can it take out the sensor so it can no longer see there's multiple different ways you can use photons at a very rapid speed and essentially it, it is a what they call an endless magazine you know after, after you put the laser into the direct energy platform and put it into the field you don't have to keep replenishing the munition the munition is the light so there are opportunities there to halfway through our conversation today, which is fascinating because I know we have so much more to learn from each of you. Before we move on to the next question, though, I would love to have us take a, a quick, excuse me, a quick, I don't know what that word is, a quick, <laughs> quick, <laughs> a quick commercial break to uh, give proper credit and thanks to Arizona Commerce Authority. Arizona TechCast 2022 Innovation Sponsor. The Com Arizona Commerce Authority is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Let's hear from them. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. know 
about this constant sunshine. It has been a <laughs> rainy wind, winter and spring up here. It's been so different. We need to go in and, and change that uh, that little commercial. <laughs> Hopefully not, because we don't want. I think we we're ready for some sunshine. I agree. I agree. So um, I know, Katie, you were excited to talk about this particular question, but I'm opening it up to the whole crew. What are some of the up and coming subsectors or trends within optics and photonics? And I know some examples that we've talked about in the past are AR, VR, uh, quantum, metal lenses. I don't even know if I said that right. Take it away. There's a lot to talk about for those ones in particular, certainly like AR, VR, mixed reality. Those ones are interesting to me, especially because they're a little more um, into pop culture. So when we talk about something like Meta Lens, which is a, a newer type of technology that is being developed uh, to to replace or supplement traditional glass lenses, I'll say. I, I don't talk around that around like the dinner table and anybody's going to know <laughs> what that is. But AR and VR, you know, there's all these pop culture expectations about what that can be. And I think right now you see the optics industry finding out what the reality is of what we can currently do and what we can meet in the future with all the sci-fi like movie expectations that have been set around uh, mixed and augmented reality and, and finding out where there's really a, a true place for that technology um, going forward. So that's always, uh, well, I guess in recent history, AR, VR, mixed reality, augmented reality, all of that has been very, um, uh, I think maybe not the most hot, newest topic, but trying to figure out where it exists going forward. Um, quantum certainly is, um, you know, I'm I'm not on the academic side. I'm more on the, the industry and manufacturing side. Quantum certainly has, to me, you know, exploded in where I've heard it, you know, at, at conferences and papers. And that's always a topic right now. To me, that's still very early days in terms of moving towards commercialization. Um, but just the possibilities that quantum computing and networking exist. To me, I think about quantum in the future, kind of looking back on for all of us that remember like dial-up or pre-internet or anything like that being like that transition to, you know, fiber optic cable and having Wi-Fi and cloud storage. To me in the future, I'll, I, I want to be like when I'm using my quantum computer, thinking back on, oh, how slow it was that we used to have always these video lags when we were using our fiber optic cables. So um, yeah, those are certainly some some areas going forward. So Katie, you don't talk about metal lenses around the dining room table? <laughs> I mean, sometimes. <laughs> well, listen, she does it at the eye doctor. She does it with the surgeon. I would surely expect it at the dinner room table. I mean, I can't help myself. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, my family has to tell me to stop talking about things at work, but um yeah, I, I, I love things like, and, and I do want to pick on metal lenses because they are amazing. This, I think, is an example of, of where we're going into uh, the future. You know, we can think of light as, as photons or waves. And so for metal lenses, we have to think about it as a wave and how we can use these tiny structures that are much, much smaller, even than a wavelength of light, to manipulate the light in ways that you you either would need a big complex glass lens to use, or maybe you couldn't even do it all. And so um, it's pretty exciting for me because again, that's one more tool. How can we make things small? How can we make them inexpensive? You can theoretically just print these lenses right on the end of a fiber and then put the fiber in and you've got an endoscope. So I think it's just one more example of, of how new advances in the field are really enabling applications. 
Well, and in your field too, just even biomedical imaging as an umbrella, to me, I also think about how many how many things, like you already mentioned, orthoscopic surgery, how many things can we do with light in the future that we had to do by cutting somebody open or taking a tissue sample? So, I mean, Jennifer's work is amazing. And I, and I always think about in the, in the future, like what things will I not have to go through anymore from a medical sense that it could just be imaging or uh, or neural, I mean, here's another neural networks and, and AI, you know, just... How much can we rely on that to diagnose uh, diseases or or make sure we're doing prevent correct preventative you know measures that's enabled by optics and light as opposed to you know physically having to cut away tissue? And I, I think the, the Katie was right about the, the quantum side of things as well. I think that is a up and coming area. There's a lot of centers that are being built around the country to focus on the quantum. I think most of the major optics institutes. Uh, five to 10 openings each in, in new professor positions for quantum. You know, I think it is going to be a revolutionizing type of technology that we probably can't even grasp. I, I like the transition from an AOL modem to a to high-speed fiber. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be something along those lines. And you know, just the things in, in terms of cryptography, in terms of you know, being able to protect the, the software and the data that you have with quantum, there's also going to be the opportunity to uh, compute and, and, and try to zone in on what may be a potential solution. There's going to be work in, in the weather area trying to come up with better models so we can understand how to predict the weather patterns better. Things like that that could be done at that type of computing power that we can't even, uh, supercomputers may be the closest thing to that, and that doesn't even do it justice. And I think there's a, from a policy side, there's a tremendous amount of investment going on there right now. You're, you're talking about the $50 billion that we're looking at with CHIPS Act for improving semiconductability, and that is a mature core technology. I mean, globally right now, it's between 30 and 50 billion that countries are putting in to try to expand the capability to, to do quantum computing. So it is going to be an area that's going to be highly funded. Many spin-outs coming out of it. Companies are already going public. And uh, technology that I think is really going to revolutionize a lot of what we do. Wow. Let's talk about some of the challenges and disruptions that the statewide optics and photonics industry is facing. We always you know, get to highlight some of the exciting things, and sometimes there are some, some challenges that we're faced with. What, what would you say about that? I mean, I think everybody's felt supply chain issues in their daily lives. I mean, I don't think we have to go totally to like toilet paper rolls and COVID to, <laughs> to have everyone understand even just still the ramifications with um, chip shortages or for a while trying to get rental cars or anything like that. I mean, that's a hit the tech sector too. So to me, one of the big things still is supply chain. We still see long lead times when we're getting basic things like metal components or we're doing manufacturing, both domestic and overseas. So I think we're just still seeing supply chain impacts from globalization. And some of that is COVID. Some of it, you know, Greg mentioned earlier, some of the uh, the Russian-Ukraine conflict that's, that's going on. Um, I just think there's a lot more instability on the global supply chain. And that just, that really trickles down. And we, we feel it in, in tech too. We feel it. I think uh, the entire technology industry does. I think everything from electronics, power supplies, things like that that rely on the chips that pre-COVID you were assuming a two to three month lead time. And now you may be lucky to get it in six months. So it, uh, it impacts the way you plan your science. It impacts the way you develop your products and, and commit to deliveries. I think our primary customer right now is the U.S. government. They, they recognize it. They work with us on our, our programs to try to mitigate some of the supply chain issues. But I think you know, secondarily, it's also manpower. I mean, it's it's not just you know the number of PhDs that are in the pipeline and coming out. It, it 
it trickles all the way down to you know, science and technology being taught in the K through 12 process and trying to, to get students to, to move into anything from you know, technician and associate's degrees to bachelor's, master's, and PhDs. I mean, that whole span of the field needs to be populated well for any of these technology threats that you're talking about. It's going to take manpower that has the ability to, to think about it and, and, and do critical thinking, uh, whether they have a degree or not. And, and that impacts, you know, how quickly can you hire someone? How predatory is the field in terms of people competing for you know, some of the, the superstars that are out there? So it's a, it's a challenge from a, an NHR perspective as well for, for industry. Yeah, and we see that at the university, the same thing with, with long lead times. And oftentimes, you know, I'm trying to order one. And so um, I'm not necessarily the highest priority customer on the list. <laughs> so uh, that can happen. Uh, the other thing that, that really impacted us was the shutdown of, the, of research in the healthcare system during COVID. Uh, so took a lot of our uh, clinical pilot studies and put them on hold for about two years. That unfortunately has backed up and, and slowed down research and the ability to get into things. On the other hand, the flip side of that was that for research having to do with COVID, it kind of got put on the acceleration path. So, so we had kind of a balance there where, where some things were slowed down and some things were actually accelerated. And it was um, really exciting to me to see the fact that the FDA could provide emergency youth authorization for um, things like COVID tests and, and therapies that were needed. And so naturally now the um, response is, well, hey, you were able to fast track those types of things. We know you can do it. We know you can do it safely. So um, how about thinking about doing that for uh, medical devices and therapies that are coming along uh, that we want to do in the future? Right. We've focused a bit about the talent pipeline challenge that's in front of us, too, with all of these challenges y'all were talking about. And I'm curious to know, what are current industry leaders really doing to develop that next generation of optics and photonics leaders? How are you getting them interested in the field? And maybe we start with Katie on this one. Katie, I know you have your master's in optical sciences from the University of Arizona. So maybe even starting with some of your recent experiences of you know, how the education system was talking about optics and encouraging interest in the field. Yeah, I mean, I think Greg really hit the nail on the head with a lot of it. We, the optics and photonics industry needs talent at kind of all levels. So, you know, we talk a lot about PhDs and starting companies, but there's a real shortage at the technician level. So optics requires extreme precision and handling. It has all sorts of nuances associated with it that I would say general tech doesn't necessarily. Um, and so things like machinists and metrologists and people who can just handle precision components, um, we really, as a society, I think, moved away from the two-year degree in the trade professions. And we're really feeling that now. So there's a, a re-emphasis on that. Uh, locally in Tucson, there's an effort to get a technician program off the ground at Pima Community College, specifically targeted for optics and photonics technicians. Um, that program exists right now in, in Rochester, New York, which is another huge hub for optics and photonics. And really, Arizona and Rochester are, are two of the places putting out the primary talent coming into the field. So those are ongoing. And then so certainly you have other colleges uh, around the country that are putting out, but it's very individual. And so it's hard to um, 
people don't instantly know what an optical engineer is. I fell into engineering accidentally. I, I went to school at, at Rochester for something different, found optics, ended up in the field, came to Arizona. And I think you'll find more people have that story than not, where they kind of end up finding the field from electrical engineering or physics. Um, so just doing, um, I think the question was what we are currently doing, but there's more, <laughs> there's more need to kind of have education about what the field even is and how we pull people into that, that talent pipeline. I'm curious with Greg and Jennifer, too. I love that, Katie, you shared how you fell into it. Could each of you share briefly about how you found your way to this industry as well? I did fall into it accidentally as well. I was an undergraduate <laughs> studying, looking at nuclear physics, and I, I was invited by the person that became my PhD advisor and later became the, the director here in Arizona, Dick Powell, had invited me as an undergraduate. He was building a new lab and needed people in there to just be technicians in the lab. And I walked in, and there's red and green and blue light bouncing all over this room and pistols were glowing. And uh, it was like, okay, I can see this. I can touch this. I can understand it. This looks like a really emerging field. And it just, it captured my interest at, you know, 20 years old. And then I just ran with it from there and, and, and stayed in the field. So it was, it was one of those pivotal moments where you, you make that leap and go, hey, I think this is going to be great. And it has turned out to be for a great 30 plus year career. Yeah, I'm going to show my age here, but I remember our uh, country's bicentennial, and there was this new thing called the laser, and they bounced it off the Washington Monument, and I still have a book report that I did in grade school where I have a picture of that with lasers done in, in curly writing, and I was writing all about lasers, and I knew I wanted to work with lasers. I uh, didn't really know how to do that. I hadn't... Uh, heard of optical engineering or even biomedical engineering at that stage. So I, I studied electrical, but um, that's always been my passion. And so it's kind of fun to, to bring it all back together again and, and get to work with lasers now. But, you know, I, I totally agree with Katie. We need to do more and we need to get people engaged. We're going to have to get them engaged earlier. So uh, we need to reach back high school, junior high, even earlier and, and let people know um, about STEM options in general to pull more people into the workforce to get those groups that have been traditionally underrepresented in STEM and get them to, to get in, interested in science, technology, engineering, and math so that they can get to the point where they're an electrical engineer or they're uh, somebody at physics who discovers optics and realizes that's their passion. So... We try to do some of that here at the Bio5 Institute. We have a, a high school program called Keys, where we bring in high school students from all over Arizona, teach them how to work in a laboratory and set them up so that they can get skills, get them excited about pursuing this is into community college or at the university. And that's fantastic. It's a huge program for us. It's 56 students. So let's see if, can we replicate that at, at every institution? Can we get industry more engaged? Can we, can we get these high school students thinking about this when they're 16 years old, that this is what they want to do in the future? And Bianca mentioned International Day of Latest coming up, and I believe we just passed the Laser Fun Day. So every year at the at the Wyant College of Optical Sciences, there's a day called Laser Fun Day. It's a really awesome event if you haven't gone before, but the college basically creates a fun house <laughs> of the building and it demonstrates different optical technologies. Uh, International Day of Light next month will have a lot of fun content. And I do think, like Jennifer said, with the laser writing, everybody kind of has a moment where they're like, this is cool. For me, it was a rainbow. I learned how a rainbow worked, like that I could explain a rainbow with scientific concepts. And I just, it amazed. I was just like, this is the coolest. So I think creating those moments for students too. So 
more of those type of events, I think, really help create that environment. Bianca, this might be a great opportunity for you as a representative of Arizona Technology Council to speak to the SciTech Institute. Would you be willing to talk about the foundation for a moment or two? Sure. So SciTech Institute is the nonprofit arm of the council. Um, They've been around for several years now, and their passion is essentially in is instilling love and interest in STEM for people of all ages. So they have events all throughout the year. They are working to build a statewide STEM ecosystem too, where all of these different uh, organizations and entities that are working on STEM initiatives and workforce initiatives can collaborate and come together. So they're not reinventing the wheel, but instead working together. Um, I know they're coming to the end of their SciTech festival season, which has just I mean, it feels like their team members are at events across the state every day. I don't know how they do it. I'm always impressed with their enthusiasm and the level of attention and care that they have when they're interacting with the community. So uh, definitely check out SciTech Institute um, online and get involved in one of their upcoming events to learn more. And for our listeners and viewers who are curious about the SciTech Institute and making a difference on behalf of that K, really K-8, K-5 education, uh, at, at schools, the students themselves are the ones who become the champions for their SciTech Institute club. And so uh, for our listeners, if you're interested, as Bianca mentioned, do reach out and, and learn more. It is, it's, while it started here in Arizona, it is now an international, it has an international footprint. It's fascinating to watch Dr. Babendor and Kelly Green and team do what they do. So thank you for sharing that, Bianca. That's fantastic. I think we might have already hit on this a little bit, but I want to make sure we haven't missed anything. The types of optics and photonics roles that are high in demand right now. We talked a little bit about, you know, the current industry leaders and where some of the talent pipeline might be struggling a bit. Did we touch on the high demand roles already? Not just yet. I think this could be something that applies to both early career professionals too and mid-career professionals that are maybe looking to jump into a new career. Well, I certainly see that what's in demand is people who have um, practical skills. So whether that be a technician who knows how to properly handle delicate machinery and, and, and create reliable, robust optics uh, to a PhD student who understands how to do a complex lens design. So I know my own students are certainly in demand uh, I'm trying to make sure they stay and, and finish their degree before they take that uh, really exciting job offer and, and go move on. But I think, um, you know, that's what I see is that there's just there's just such a need of people who can go in that and do people who can communicate, who can you know, This is just like other fields, people who can work in teams, people who can work interdisciplinarity because um, you know, optics don't usually work all by themselves. They're going to be working with other types of engineers. They're going to be working with sales team. They're going to be maybe even working directly with customers. So all those skills are are in high demand, and I think they're applicable at every level. Yeah, kind of, kind of, I agree with Jennifer. I think there are spin-outs from that where you can take your degree and and, and branch into other fields. I mean, mm-hmm. I know some, some really strong optical scientists that have gotten gone on to law school and become patent attorneys or or working at the USPTO, which has a huge backlog of patents to approve, and they need people that can understand the optical sciences side of things to be able to understand the, uh, the necessity for the patent. I think, uh, as she said, science science and communication can go hand in hand. If you have the ability to communicate, you can do anything from working for journals, working for newspapers. Most of the congressional staff that I brief have science 
policy people on board or people that are their science and technology directors that want to understand what the local need is in the way of science and technology funding. So you know, there, are, there are spin outs from those career paths that uh, can, can be fairly lucrative. I, I've got a colleague that is working on the, the fund, putting the funding in place for the CHIPS Act. He needs a thousand program managers right now that have background degrees in engineering or science or technology and, and understand a little bit about it. And these are six figure jobs. So coming out with a bachelor's degree and being able to, to work remotely possibly and, and service that part of a, a program, and it could be very lucrative for an early career professional. Absolutely. Well, wow, what a great opportunity to get involved. And I know we already started to talk about some of the different events happening in the community and um, some of the different organizations that are leaders in the community, but what are the best ways for everyday Arizonans like me who thought optics and photonics were about eye appointments to learn more about the industry and actually get involved or take a leadership role in, in activities and events. Yeah, I mean, certainly for local Arizonans, um, Optics Valley, if you're interested in optics and photonics, is the best place to start. It's going to put you directly in contact with all the optics and photonics leadership in the in the state. So coming to an event, I mean, there's lots of social and networking type events that the council puts on. I would definitely recommend um, checking out the Tech Council's website or the Optics Valley website on events. Um, every year, there's the Arizona Photonics Days that happens at the end of January. That's a, a few-day conference that happens here in Tucson. And we get a lot of actually international representation that comes over from Europe. So that's a good spot too. I also like to point people just nationally. There's two primary nonprofits that support the optics and photonics industry. Um, those are Optica and SPIE. Jennifer uh, is in the presidential chain for SPIE currently, and we served on the, the board together recently. Um, but both of them, uh, from a broader perspective, just give a lot of, uh, they have a lot of resources available for learning more about uh, the industry, and they run a lot of events um, and conferences and places that you can attend where it might make sense to to meet more people in the field. Agreed. There's lots of activities. You mentioned having conferences here in Tucson, both locally and internationally, and uh, definitely ways to go. There's, there's the student chapter that's a student optics chapter, so they have activities too. There's a really robust women in optics group um, that appreciates, you know, it's student run. It's both a good thing to go to, and if there are women leaders out there who would be willing to share their stories, they're always looking for those as well. And, and I know I've, I've had experience with the university on their industrial affiliates phase, and they've got that usually twice a year. I think that's a, a fantastic way to both walk around and see the companies that are there recruiting and, and learn about what's going on at each of those companies, to hear the students make some presentations on the kind of research that they're working on, and it gives you a real understanding of the breadth of the of the research that's taking place at the university and, and what kind of hard problems are trying to tackle and doing a really great job of it. I have a 15-year-old who wants to be an engineer and isn't clear about what, what field. Yes, what field yet. And so this is getting me super excited. Every time we have an AZ Tech Council show, oh, he should do this. Oh, he should do that. So you're the I feel like I'm always preaching for, for optics of a time. So I want to be like, do you want 100% job placement and right. to get paid more than other engineering disciplines? That's, that's what I heard Greg say. So I'm going home and I'm going to start uh, moving in that direction. And when did you say, Katie, the, the laser... That's, or maybe Jennifer had mentioned, but when is that laser day that's coming up? 
The Blazer Fund Day just passed, oh. but there is on May 21st is the International Day of Light. So yep. um, I would uh, absolutely recommend people go to that. It'll be held at the Flandreau Planetarium on the University of Arizona campus. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and I would strongly suggest using the social media route as well. SBIE, Optica, International Day of Light are all very visible on social media. And you can see all of these, they have photography contests and different kinds of exhibits going on all around the world. And so it's really interesting to see what all of these student chapters and, and outreach groups are doing to engage the community to, to help them to understand better how optics and photonics plays a role in our everyday lives. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, I have to I have to put on my marketing instead of my engineering hat. And <laughs> since you mentioned TikTok earlier, Greg, Edmund Optics does run a, a TikTok account. My colleague Corey does an amazing job. He does these demos and everything, and it's a great, uh, just approachable way to learn some of the basics of different um, optics and photonics concepts. So um, if you if you like tech TikTok, you can you can check ours out. <laughs> tech TikTok, that's a cool that's a cool way to put it. <laughs> You got got to meet people where they are already at. Provide that information in easy to digest ways. So we are just about um, running out of time for our conversation today. I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to have you share your predictions for the next 10 years. We've done a little bit of that for Arizona's statewide optics and photonics ecosystem. And then, of course, beyond Arizona Wall. So what do you think is going to be taking place in the next 10 years? Ah, okay, I'll go. Um, There's going to be incredible growth. Uh, I think we're going to end up with uh, still having supply chain and talent issues just because of the growth. So we're trying to keep up with that. Uh, The the Wyant College of Optical Sciences here is growing. It's getting more faculty, admitting more students, trying to help keep up with that. I'm excited to see these programs happening at Pima Community College. Optics is going to become more and more ubiquitous. I said that over the last 10 years that things have become simpler, cheaper, uh, more lightweight, more robust. We have thousands of lasers now embedded in in your phone. Uh, It's going to become even more that way that, that hopefully optics will be this tool that will help make your daily life easier. And um, that will be used in, in ways that can improve the health of everybody. I'll weigh in right off of what Jennifer said. I think that you know, optics and AI together are going to make a huge splash in, in the next uh, decade. I think between autonomous vehicles, having to, to look for things in the road and then be able to drive autonomously, it's going to take a combination of both of those. I think doing uh, early stage diagnosis of abnormal cell growth in the body, being able to use pulse technology is going to be important for being able to look at tissue and say, hey, there's a cell there. Let's get a needle biopsy now and be able to see what's going on rapidly. And and do uh, early stage intervention. And I think you know, Arizona is going to be the U.S. hub for semiconductor manufacturing in the next 10 years. I think the, the global footprint that's coming in, both up here in Phoenix and in other places, is, is going to drive the ecosystem, part of the ecosystem here in the, in the state of Arizona. So I think uh, all of those are, are going to be contributing along with quantum in, in the future. I don't know. There's a lot I can. Those are all the major ones. I, I, I agree uh, with everything that's been said there. Um, I don't see it slowing down. Certainly not in Arizona. Um, I, I definitely think the tech sector is going to continue to grow partially a, a hope. But I think a prediction for the next 10 years is a little more national attention and understanding of the importance of the field. You see that Greg already mentioned a few times that CHIPS Act, just the magnitude of that funding coming into the tech sector. 
I think we also didn't mention the National Photonics Initiative, NPI, which is an effort going on more in D.C. around making sure there's policy and understanding at a congressional level about the importance of fields. So I foresee more um, understanding from our representatives and from just a national understanding of the of the critical nature of making sure that technology field is well funded and well staffed. Um, but certainly I, I don't I don't see anything slowing down in the need for uh, continued talent um, will always be there. And we need more scientists and engineers in Congress, just putting a plug in there. So. Yes. <laughs> what do you think, Bianca? We're always grateful for you pulling this segment together. I, I, you always, I can always tell by your smile that you're loving and there's never been a time that you haven't. <laughs> I truly am beaming ear to ear because from my perspective, this is what the council is about. It's about recognizing the incredible experts who are out and about in the community that are using technology to make a positive impact in people's lives. Technology doesn't have to be this cold, unfeeling thing. And I'm just so grateful to each of you today for sharing your stories and, and really illustrating the true positive impact that technology can have. So with that, I want to thank each of you as well. You are our light lasers and lenses experts. I, mean, I, I love that. I feel so informative. You're speaking my language as a former assistant principal for a, a, an elementary school. Again, thank you, especially on a Friday afternoon. We know you're terribly busy, but the, the conversation, the stories, and the examples have been spot on today. And hopefully, we've, of course, we've inspired new connections within the organizations and the ecosystem, and maybe even sparked interest to somebody to, to make a move towards this industry. You've been listening to AZ TechCast, brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio X with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by the Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. So again, we thank Arizona Commerce Authority for supporting us with this show. If you're interested in being a podcast participant or sponsor for the council's AZ TechCast, please contact Bianca at marketing at aztechcouncil.org to learn more about opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Until next time, Karen Nowicki, thank you for joining AZ TechCast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council, featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.